For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness. The ones who have escaped, actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. We're not only glad that you're here this morning, we would be glad to see you again this evening at 6 o'clock. We have another worship service, another opportunity, and if it's all, if at all possible, we hope that you will share that time with us. When you read 2 Peter, and that's where you need to have your Bible open now, you get the idea that the apostle felt a great weight of responsibility as he wrote to these Christians. I am sure that he remembered those words from his Lord that had earlier cut him to the quick. Jesus had said to him, feed my lambs. And again he told them, tend my sheep. But there's more to... Peter writing than that, not just responsibility. We also believe that Peter truly cared for those to whom he wrote. After all, he says in chapter 1, verse 1 of 2 Peter, that they shared a like precious faith. He calls them beloved three times in chapter, uh, four times in chapter 3 alone. And so he truly cared for them. And that weight of responsibility that he felt in writing important things to them is seen, I think, in chapter 1 and beginning at verse 12. He writes, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you will always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter believed that the message immediately was important but also believe that there would be a residual benefit to it, to see it again and again and again, just as you and I see it this morning. What we see in Second Peter is a mixture of encouragement and warning. The encouragement is to make our call and election sure, chapter 1, verse 10. But the apostle also encourages to grow spiritually by being diligent twice in the first chapter, and once in the third chapter. 
He talks about being thoughtful, talks about being knowledgeable. All of those things were encouragements. The warnings that we read about concern the possibility of stumbling in the faith. And the main thrust of what Peter writes in chapter 2 deals with the effect that false teachers and their false teachings have on God's people. Whatever the cause of stumbling or falling, Peter would have us to understand that it is indeed possible to fall from our steadfastness. Chapter 3 and verse 17 has these words. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. None of us should ever be arrogant enough to believe that it is impossible for us to lose our salvation. There are too many warnings in the New Testament about the danger of Christians falling from their position. And and 1 Corinthians 2, I mean 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 serves as a constant reminder to us. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want you to look again. You heard it well read a moment ago, but look at 2 Peter 2 and verse 20. 2 Peter 2 and verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. There are three words in this 20th verse that I believe ought to give us cause to think seriously about them. I want you to consider them with me. First, there is that word escaped. Peter talks about people who have escaped. And what a wonderful word that is in the right context. The Greek word literally means to flee away from. Now, I said in the right context. You could have someone who has escaped from justice. That's not a good thing. But there is a sense in which escape can be good, real good. Incidentally, we get our word fugitive, our English word fugitive from the Greek word that is used here. These people are have been fugitives in some way. Imagine, if you will, for a moment that you are trapped in a burning building and, and your state is really precarious, but somehow or another you get out, you escape. What a wonderful feeling that is. You could have lost your life, but somehow you escaped. Well, let me tell you this morning that the escape of Christians is even more wonderful because we have not escaped from the physical fire but what is called in Revelation 20, verse 15, the lake of fire. We have gotten away from something that has trapped us, and now we are free. 
Peter mentions some of the threats that we escape from in this verse and in others. In this verse, he mentions pollutions of the world. Today we hear a lot about pollution of water and air. And, and physically, we don't want to drink water that would hurt us. We don't want to breathe air that would hurt us physically. But defilements of the world, pollutions as they are here spiritually noted, really do worse than just make us sick. They contaminate us in a way that make us unfit for fellowship with God. Back in chapter 1 and verse 4, the apostle mentions having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is literally moral decay that is produced by inordinate craving and passion. And that corruption, that lust, alienates us from God. God will not allow that in his fellowship. Chapter 1, verse 9. The apostle mentions Christians being cleansed from their old sins. And when we read about a Christian being cleansed from his sins, we may immediately think about Acts 22.16. Because Paul recalled in that verse that Ananias had come to him and had told them, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. John would write of Jesus in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, verse 5, Who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Jesus was necessary for us to be truly cleansed from our sins. Christians have escaped pollutions and corruption and filth. Notice, if you will, in chapter 2, verse 20, that this escape is made possible through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an interesting word that's used here in the original language for knowledge. It's epikonoso, which is really means full and complete knowledge. This is not just knowing about something or having some minimal amount of knowledge. This is complete knowledge. And what that signifies is this is a knowledge that is so thorough. It has been ingested so much by us that it compels us to obey because of what we know. We recognize who Jesus is. We recognize what we must do to please him. And that knowledge drives us to escape the entrapments of the devil. But there's a second word in verse 20. And that word is the word entangled. That's not a wonderful word. It's a frightening word. The Greek word literally means to weave in and metaphorically to be involved in. If you're entangled in something, you are entangled in it. You are weaved into it. Go back to our imagination of a little bit earlier. Imagine you have escaped from a burning building and when you escape, you run into a maze of brush and thorns barbed wire, anything else that you can imagine. You escape from something, but you become entangled in something else. 
and it is possible. Peter says it's possible. We see it in men like Demas. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, Paul would say regretfully, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas had escaped from the pollutions of the world and the corruption of the world. He had been cleansed from his sins, but Demas got entangled in the world and was no longer free. He had no longer escaped. When Demas did what he did, it brought shame on himself, brought sorrow to Paul's heart, and we are convinced even the God of heaven had regret. You and I recall John's words in 1 John 2 and verse 15. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, to be entangled in the world means that we lose our love of the Father. I believe that's what he means here, our love of the Father. The Father keeps on loving us. But we lose our love of the Father because the world becomes so much more important than God. Remember again, Demas, having loved this present world. And what Peter does to try to really nail this down in a concrete way is to use some of the most graphic language, certainly that he used, but as is used in all of the New Testament. Because when you go down just two verses from verse 20, and then you read in verse 22, of this person who has escaped, but now is entangled again, Peter writes, it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's not likely Peter could have thought anything uh, up anything, even by the help of the Holy Spirit, that could be more disgusting than that. To watch a dog throw up and then go back and eat what he had thrown up, and to see a hog that had been cleansed and going back into the mud and the slime again, those are the illustrations of a Christian going back to what he had escaped from originally. And now comes the third word. It is the word end, E-N-D. And in this particular context, it's a sad word. It literally means last, utmost, when used of time, end. And Peter says the latter end, the last state, the end of man. Peter is clear what that end will be, and it will be worse. Now why is that so? I think you could think of several reasons why it would be so. When people turn from God's way after having walked in God's way, it is extremely difficult to win them back. Now, that's not a guess on my part, folks. That's been seen from years of experience. Many of you have seen the same thing. Somebody has served the Lord, but they begin to drift away and they turn their backs on the Lord. And then when you go to try to talk to them, it's like 
a wall. And it's extremely difficult to win those people back because they've become entangled again in the pollutions of the world. But for some people, their guilt over abandoning their faith causes them to become enemies of the faith. I have noticed over the years that people who have quit the church are the worst critics of the church. And they lay blame on their condition on everyone else. These people who become critics of the church, having left the church, they don't ever say, it's all my fault, I did it, I'm responsible. They say, well, you don't know what hypocrites they are. You don't know how they act. It's all their fault. Sometimes those same people influence others, often family members, to join them in their return to sinful living. We've seen Christians take other Christians away from the faith. What a tragedy. I don't know, nor do you, exactly what hell will be like. We, we do know that the Bible tries to the best of our ability to understand, to show us what a terrible place that is. But I would have to imagine, and I grant this is my imagination, I have to imagine that if it's possible for hell to be worse for some than others, it will be worse for those people who have been faithful to God and have become unfaithful to God and end up unfaithful to God. Because they will have all eternity to think about what they gave up, what they lost, that they didn't have to lose. What awaits them? For that, I think we go to Hebrews 10. And I want you to look, if you will, in your own Bible at Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 26. The Hebrew writer pens this. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then he adds, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be who thought were he thought worthy who had trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? One who is entangled again certainly fits this picture. And what a tragic picture it is. This morning I'm speaking to many people who've escaped. I urge you to rejoice in your escape. To, to thank God daily for the fact that you have escaped the pollutions of the world and the corruption that is through lust and the dirtiness of sin. 
thank God daily for that and resolve to remain free by following Christ faithfully. Am I speaking this morning to someone who has escaped but is in danger of becoming entangled again? Your soul is too precious to lose. And we would help you if we could, if you will allow us the privilege of helping you to return to Christ and to be faithful to it. But you better do it. You better do it. And you better do it as soon as you can. Because it won't get easier. It'll only get harder. It may be that someone here has never escaped the bondage of sin. Why would you want to stay in sin when you can be free? Why would you want to be trapped when there is pardon and release from all of the guilt of sin? Jesus is the way of escape. And you need to come to him. Put your faith in Him as the Son of God. Turn from your sins in repentance. Confess His name. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then make it your lifelong commitment to be faithful to Him. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come while we're standing and singing.